You got to accentuate the positive. Wow, I feel good. A little bit of feel good goes a long way. Welcome to ATP Radio. I'm your host, Karen Swain, teacher of deliberate creation, showing you how to accentuate the positive, the way to a better life. Your radio station is an example of the future existing right now. Clap along if you feel like that's what you want to do. Hi guys, Karen here for another hour, Accentuating the Positive on Soul Traveller Radio. This is highlights of my show on a Saturday morning in Sydney on Community Radio. This week I speak with a fascinating guest. We had quite a long chat, so I don't know if I'll fit it all in, but if you miss any of it, you can always go to my website, karenswain.com, to listen to the podcasts. I'm going to get straight into it. Have a listen to my fascinating conversation with Derek Amato. I'm so excited to have a guest with me today, Derek Amato. Derek has a fascinating story. I saw him, I found him on the internet on an American television show. You were on the Steve Harvey show. And your story is quite a few years ago, you had an accident and something extraordinary happened to you through that accident. Do you want to tell us what happened? I dove into a swimming pool to catch a, a small foot, one of those miniature footballs. And I dove into the shallow end and I struck the bottom with the left side of my head, actually. So I miscalculated the dive. I struck the bottom and I I came out of the water. I just remember everything being like frozen in time. I remember them saying something to me and I couldn't hear anything. And then I collapsed and they pulled me out of the water. From that point, they took me to the hospital and um, I was diagnosed with a massive concussion and I didn't have any any bleeding. So they only kept me over that night. And actually, my mother took me home the next morning. How many years ago was that, Derek? That was eight. So it was October 27th, 2006, right before my 40th birthday. Okay. And so after you had the accident, obviously, you had concussion. How long were you in hospital? I was only there for that evening. So they only kept me that, you know, probably seven, eight hours for evaluation to make sure I didn't have any bleeding. And then they they cut me loose and, you know, obviously I went back to my mother's house. I was visiting her on a holiday. I slept for the next five days. And I remember coming to, I would, I would, I'd wake up and I remember her putting cold rags on my head and checking on me to make sure I was okay. And, and she would make me things to eat. And I remember those little moments, but I don't remember much in between that five days. I just remember sleeping a lot. And after that, something extraordinary happened to you. Do you want to tell us what happened? I woke up on that fifth day and, and I kind of felt like I was okay. I, I felt battered and beat up. I knew my body hurt, my head hurt, my eyes were blackened. I knew I had an accident, but I, I couldn't place what happened or where I was. Um, I did know who my mother was. I did know my name. I just couldn't collect what had happened and, and what was going on. But I felt like I was okay physically, that I could, my hearing, I had lost 35% of my hearing on my left side. And my fingers were very like nervous. I remember them tapping on my leg and, and, and they, I just couldn't hold my fingers still. And I was seeing these spots. I call them squares now because I see these black and white squares, but I remember these, these spots going round and round nonstop. And, and I just thought they were just, you know, we all see spots every now and then when we get a headache or dizzy or what have you. Mm-hmm. And I just thought they were these little spots from 
from the damage. Mm. Um, when I woke up, I, I called my, my friend, Rick. He was with me during the accident. And I said, I think I'm feeling better to go home to Denver. So let's say our goodbyes now. And he came and picked me up. We went over to his apartment. We were sitting there chatting. And there was a small keyboard in the corner of his apartment. And I kept staring at that thing and looking at it. it, it I felt drawn to it for some unknown reason. Mm -hmm. And after probably, you know, 35, 45 minutes of, of chatting with him, I just had to go over and sit down at it. And I figured I would just plunk away and hit a couple of notes. I had never touched the piano. I, I haven't. I was a regular kid growing up. I, I played baseball and chased girls like most boys do. <laughs> so I had no no uh, interest in coming home after school and taking piano lessons, right? Mm -hmm. I went over and sat down and I began to play like like I had played the piano all my life. And I was playing at a pace that was, well, it was it's one of those profound moments when you're not sure what the heck's going on. And you know, Rick looked at me, I looked at him like, what's happening? Uh -huh. Tears in his eyes. And I'm thinking, what, what, what's happening here? And um, I, you know, I grew up a, an athlete and a karate kid. So I don't even look like a piano player. So I don't even fit the bill, right? I don't even, when I walk <laughs> into a place, they're like, I, I look like more of a, an athlete or a fighter kid than I do a piano player. So it always throws them off. And I just sat there for the next five, six hours playing, and it was fluid, structured. You know, I was doing classical pieces. I was doing pop, jazz. It, was, it wasn't anything I had heard on the radio or music that I was familiar with. It was what we've come to find out is that my hands were playing those black and white squares that I see that go Right. They're 24 hours. And that's what my fingers were doing. Right. I went home that evening to my mother's and went to bed. And I'm thinking to myself, how am I going to explain this to my mother in the morning? Right. I just hit my head. Uh -huh. She already thinks I'm a little nutty from the damage. And now I'm going to wake up the next morning and tell her I'm playing piano at a, at a fairly reasonable level. That's like asking someone to just call you double nutty. Right. You know, it's like <laughs> I I was a little nervous to explain it. So I woke up that next morning and said, you know, I'd like you to go to the music store with me. And she was like, what are you going to buy? And I was like, nothing. I just want to show you something. And uh, we walked in and I couldn't figure out how to turn on that digital piano. I sat her down. I said, sit down with me next to me on this bench. <laughs> and I couldn't figure out how to turn it on because they have a switch somewhere in the yeah. back or whatever. Yeah. And the salesman come over and he said, can I help you? And I said, no, just show me how to turn this thing on real quick. I don't want to buy it. He turned it on and walked away and I started playing and, and my mother just sat there in tears. You know, I only played for about four or five minutes. The salesman came back over and he wanted, of course, he wanted to sell me the piano and I did not have any interest in buying it. He asked, how long have you been playing, sir? And I looked at him and I honestly said, oh five hours, six hours, maybe. <laughs> That's and, fantastic. And he looked at me like, okay, you're pulling my chain. And I'm like, no, I, I've been playing about five hours. And, and he kind of laughed about it like I was joking. And I was being very real. And I thanked him, turned it off, and we drove home. And it was one of those very quiet rides home. There wasn't much to say. You know, when something that profound takes place, there's there's really no words to explain that moment. And I, I sometimes quietness is explanation enough when mm -hmm. you're sitting next to the person that knows you best. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's what that ride home was. And 
we got back to the house and it was just one of those days where like, you're like, okay, we're not sure what's happening and what's going on. It's a little weird. And I packed up in the next couple of days and I went home to, to Denver. I was, I was feeling much better. I still couldn't place what had happened. I knew I had an accident, but I could not gather it. Can I ask you? Yes, please. When you first sat mm-hmm. to, at your friend's place at the piano to play, what were you feeling? I w- it was it was kind of a euphoric, almost, mm-hmm. yeah, I don't want to say out of body because it's not like I was floating above myself looking down at my fingers, mm-hmm. but it was like I was in a space that was, I think if we could verbally explain that perfect place, I think I might have been there. It's like I was far out there mm-hmm. and I, I wasn't aware of anything else except for the musical situation that was going on and and I was simply absorbed and probably taken by the moment. And, you know, it was one of those things where you're not quite sure. So I think I just went away for those few hours. And and, and quite honestly, I, I have that same feeling every time I sit down. Mm-hmm. And when I get on stage and I play in front of an audience, it's quite ironic because if, if you were to come up to me, let's say there's two or three people and you and you walk up to me and say, Derek, sit down and play for us. I get very nervous and intense and it's like, it's so much pressure when it's just a couple people. It it feels so weird to me. But if you put me on stage with 10,000 people and you put that piano there and that barrier, I just go away and I'm fine. It's like my security blanket. I don't know. I I go to that space or that place every time I sit down at the piano and it it allows me to kind of I think kind of leave this, the regular world of daily stress and bills and, and the common life problems. I get to go away for those few hours when I sit down to play every day. So it's almost kind of like my, my escape, my therapy, my, I have to play. It's my, my brain requires that I let it out so I can almost breathe and, and work through this because you got to imagine these notes don't stop. This is 24 hours when I'm sleeping. If I lay down and take a nap next to one of my children, my fingers want to tap on them and play on their shoulder as if I'm constructing or composing music. So it's like getting in a car that doesn't need gas. And sometimes it's fun to to go to the amusement park and, and jump on the roller coaster and ride for hours. But can you imagine the roller coaster not stopping? It gets exhausting. So for it's eight fun. years, since you had the accident, right. you've had this music in the form of visualization running through your mind constantly, 24-7, except for yeah. when you're asleep, I suppose. When I'm asleep, it's going. It's still going. Mm. Are you dreaming about it? I don't know if it's so much dreaming as much as my brain's still working. It's mm. my brain still seems to compose even when I'm sleeping. So, you know, the the doctors have suggested that that we look at trying some anti-seizure medication to slow down the firing of my neurons because what's happening is my brain's overstimulated and, and it's, it won't stop. So these neurons keep flowing. It's only supposed to happen when you get overly excited or you're at that high peak of producing. I don't think it's necessary to take medication because what happens if, if I take this medication and it stops or it goes away or why would I want to cloud something so beautiful? Mm, mm. I'll take the being tired every now and then to enjoy this gift every moment I can because it can go away. It can, it can go away as fast as it came, they think. 
And there, there's, there's so little information on this topic because as far as we know or I know or the doctors know, it's the only medical journal situation where sudden musical genius or savant syndrome has been acquired from a brain injury. There's some similar situations, but there's not a whole lot of information on it. They're still digging. And what were you doing as a profession before this, before this happened? I was a corporate trainer. I, I worked in telecom, so I was a, a national director of training for telecom. I've uh, researched you online and uh, lots of doctors and scientists speculating about what's happening to you and all that sort of thing. I would right. imagine that you set forth on a journey to find out what was happening to you. What did you discover your own personal journey? I try to look at it and appreciate all the input from all different angles because it's all important and it all matters. Yep. I was raised in a, in a conservative Christian family, so I didn't have a problem right away understanding in my own mind or in my heart, I am a man of faith. And, and I'm proud of the fact that I live my life with faith every day. So it was easy for me to say, this was my gift from my God. Mm-hmm. And, and that's kind of a profound thing to say, because I don't walk around telling people which God to believe in. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, I do, I do walk through my life every day, suggesting that people in this world have some sort of faith, because, I mean, what else is there? It's like, you know, I, I had to come up with a, an answer that fulfilled my own heart. Mm-hmm. And for me, it was much easier to say, or more fulfilling for me to say, it was my gift from God. And maybe it's always been there. Maybe I was born a prodigious child, and maybe we all have these gifts. And maybe that head trauma stimulated an open window in my brain for a moment that allowed me to tap into that information. And I think we all have these gifts. And I think God has given us all these great gifts that we just simply aren't aware of or we haven't tapped into because, you know, they they suggest we only use, what, 10%, 11% of our brain or what have you. So maybe I'm using 12.5% and I found that extra percent that allowed me to play the piano and and, and other instruments. That's kind of how I explain that. And, And I look at the scientific area of it. I respect all of them, but like I said, it's just so much easier for me in, in my heart to say it really is, is my gift and its purpose to display my testimony. So what did you do with it? You could play this music incredibly. Where did you take it at the beginning? What did you think? I, I, didn't, I, I, I didn't want to tell anybody because I thought it sounded absolutely crazy. It's like, who's going to believe this guy that just whacked his head and then jumps out of the swimming pool and says he's Beethoven. It's like, ah. who in the right mind is going to even believe this? I think when something so profound happens, you're going to get skeptics. You're going to have questions, and, and rightfully so. And, and I invite it, and I, and I will respond. And I don't get a whole lot of cynical mail, email that says, you know, you're a fraud or what have you. But they do flow in every now and then I'll get one. And I tell them the same thing. You know, instead of throwing stones, why don't you just, I I live a regular life. I live in a regular home. Come on over, sit down with me at the piano, and then you you take away what, what you think. I can't persuade you through a computer screen while you're over there typing like a a warrior and throwing stones at me. But what I can do is invite you into my life or my home and say, sit down next to me and you watch this work. And you watch how my six fingers do this. I wish I used all 10. 
for some reason, I only want to use six fingers, which is really kind of weird. Mm. And I don't understand what I'm doing. I have no idea where, if you asked me to hit a D minor, I would look at you and say, "Are you, you're, you're out of your mind. I don't even know where a D minor is. Right. Mm-hmm. I know the black keys are flat, but I reached out a couple weeks after the accident. I started researching it, of course, because I was so fascinated with what was going on. I reached out to Dr. Daryl Trefford at the Wisconsin Medical Society, and he is the world-leading savant study doctor, and he was the advisor for the movie Rain Man. So I figured, well, if anybody's going to have an answer or a direction or some kind of explanation, it's going to be this gentleman. And and I became very close to Dr. Trefford and, and worked with him. He was writing a book at the time, Islands of Genius. So I was lucky enough to be included in that because it just, the timing was right. Mm. And that's, you know, when we discovered the definition of acquired savant syndrome. And I always tell everybody savant is a big word to me. It's, it's more like a French pastry. To me, it's just, I, I get to make some noise on some instruments and some of it sounds lovely and some of it doesn't sound so good. <laughs> you know? It's not always beautiful. It's not butterflies and rainbows every time I sit down. Well, so I did out to doctor and he you know it kind of rolled from there into a bigger snowball and then I started getting in touch with other doctors they started approaching me when I filmed with the discovery channel for ingenious minds I got to spend some time with Dr. Andrew Reeves and he's one of the top neurologists in the world and he is also the one that diagnosed me with synesthesia which was another medical term that I was unfamiliar with so I was diagnosed with the savant syndrome and then A couple of years later, I was diagnosed with synesthesia, which is where my brain sees these black and white squares and translates those squares into musical composition. If a person sees red and they think automobile, their brain doesn't connect red with like the color red. They see red and might think car. Mm -hmm. So synesthesia is another fascinating, and we're still learning more on that. So is fascinating, absolutely fascinating. It is. Tell me, Derek, how has this ability to do this changed your life? It changes your whole design. You tick in a different way. It's like I only sleep maybe two to four hours usually an evening. I'm just extremely excited to get up and and start my day because it's like I'm overflowing with information. So it's like I just want to get up, start my day, start playing, start recording. It's changed my design. It humbles you. I think it takes you to another level of fascination and exploring the human potential and looking at it in a different view than than I possibly may have before my accident. I'm a softer guy. I, you know, I was kind of an intense businessman before my accident, and I was working in corporate America, chasing the almighty dollar. And and after my accident, I just thought, you know what? I'm going to step away from corporate America. I'm going to somehow make this discovery into my work. And I thought, well, do you become a rock star overnight? Do you become a TV personality overnight? It doesn't quite happen like that. I thought it might at the beginning, but it certainly didn't. I was lucky enough to get some, you know, work out of the deal, but I wanted to turn my experience and my discovery into sharing my testimony to inspire maybe to share faith, anything that I could do to get another human being to start 
examining or exploring the human potential. Absolutely, absolutely. Exactly. Most musicians, I speak to a lot of musicians on the show that have this amazing ability from the get-go and then the journey to to having ability and then having people find you or want you or listen to you is quite a journey. <laughs> so, oh, it's, it's incredible. And there's so many talented people out yeah, there yeah. And, and, and many of them much more talented than I am. And they spend their lives trying to make a living making music. It's challenging. It really is. And, and I don't have a, a big house and a big car and live this fancy life. I'm a, I live a very simple life. I haven't had a cell phone in five years. I haven't had a car in six years. I just, I don't require a lot of those items anymore because I've tried to just take my life to simplicity and enjoy some of the things that are going on in a, in a different level, if you will. I have three children. I, I mean, I, I, I live my daily life just like everybody else. I'm a dad. I, I have bills. I, there's no super human brain food I eat to make me play different music every day. So I, I, I walk just like a regular guy, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but I heard you speaking online and you said that you live with a headache every day. Do you still have that? Sometimes I get them for extended amounts of time, meaning three months, I'll get them every day throughout the day, maybe sometimes three to five a day. And then, then I'll go a couple months to where I only get one here and there. And then I'll go a few months where I don't get one at all. I think it really depends on how stimulated and overstimulated my brain is and how much it's producing. The last year has been pretty good. It's, it's spotty. It's off and on, but they're terrible. And, um, you know, fluorescent lighting in large buildings get me very sick. The the little, the, that buzz or whatever the energy that fluorescent lights produce make me very sick feeling and, and, and I can't tolerate it hardly. Um, I have to wear a stocking cap most of the time just because of my hearing. So a lot of people see photos of me and they say, oh, it, there he is in that stocking cap again, trying to look cool when it's really, it's kind of my makeshift hearing aid. It dampens the tones that I really struggle with in the daily life. I'm finding different ways to deal with it, fly fishing. Sometimes I have to just sit in the shower and, and, and let it just beat on my head, the water, trying to meditate through it. And the hot water hitting my head seems to alleviate it a little bit. So, but not taking any medication besides a couple Tylenol and Excedrin here and there. It's amazing what's happened to you. This is my perspective. It's happened to me in, in a very different way. Like it didn't happen overnight like you. It's happened to many people that I've spoken to on radio. It's happened to many healers. It's like you crack yourself open to receive more energy, more information, more inspiration, more source energy, whatever you want to call it. But when you do receive more of it, you have to clean up your own resistance, which means you have to clean up your own negative, fearful, doubtful thoughts. Because right. I believe personally that any resistance you have to the flow of that inspiration or the flow of that energy or source energy or whatever you want to call it manifests as first negative emotion and then pain in your body. Mm -hmm. And um, I had an experience where I was doing massaging on a Hollywood movie star that was out here at the time and she had a picture of a guru on her counter and I asked the question, 
what's all this Indian guru stuff about? And I had this mind expanding experience where my head started to feel like it was physically swelling and I started downloading all this information. But I had the right. worst headache after that. I was sick for days because I was cracked open and allowed this energy to flow through me. But wow. I wasn't allowing that to happen. I still had a lot of doubts about myself and fear and, and that's what manifested as this pain in my right. head. Does that right. sound similar to what you're going yes, through? Yes, it, it does. And, you know, after my accident, it seems like my energy was definitely changed. My my physical energy, the way I'm, I display my myself. It, I, I have this beautiful connection with people after my accident. And I've always been a, a lover of people, even when I was younger. I mean, before my accident, I've always loved life. I've always loved music. I've always loved people. But after my accident, there was this energy thing that transpired. I have this connection, this beautiful, divine connection with a, a lot of people. Mm -hmm. And it's very intense. Mm -hmm. Some people, even when that they'll come up I met an autistic savant a while back when we were filming and he just wanted to touch me and hang on to me. And the camera crew, I mean, grown men were broken down in tears just being around it. It was, it's that intense. And I don't quite get it because I feel very regular, but at the same time, I do understand and, and believe that my gift has changed me and it has allowed me to become a different kind of lover of people. Mm. I'm fascinated with that. And that's really what it's become to me. The The music's just a small part of it. And now I've taken this gift and and the music's allowed me to step onto a, a global platform to a world audience and say, this is what's going on with my life. But even more than that, these are the organizations that I believe in and support. This mm. is what I really do during the day. I love working with the homeless, the autistic children. That's where I belong. And that's what I've done with this is I've, I've taken this gift and displayed it in a way to where I hope I'm drawing people into look into my life to what, you know, not only am I an artist and musician, but I'm a humanitarian and, and the life work, I, I have much to do. And I have many people to touch and love and share and help. And I hope my story ends that someday when I'm maybe 90, 95, 105, however old I get to be, that they find me buried in, in some little town in Peru next to an orphanage. I hope the story ends like that because to me that's divine. I don't need to be remembered the rock star on stage or the TV personality. I kind of want to leave a legacy of, of humor and giving, sharing life. Sounds good to me. You're with Karen Accentuating the Positive and I'm chatting with Derek Amato who is a musical savant genius. We're going to find out more about Derek after this.